and welcome to the Narrow Road Podcast, a place to share the journey of walking with God on the narrow road that leads to life. I hope that you find rest and encouragement here, but above all, the awareness that you're not alone on the way. Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Narrow Road Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Bowyer, and it is my pleasure to be back with you for another episode. Today, we are going further into the life of Jesus. We have now talked through his birth, his very early life and adolescence. We've talked about John the Baptist and his um, conception and birth. We've gone through all sorts of um, aspects of Jesus's early life. And yesterday we talked through Jesus. He's already been baptized by John the Baptist. Now he's gone into the wilderness. He's been tempted by Satan on multiple occasions. He's overcome Satan and he's exited the wilderness in the spirit and in power. And now he has gone and begun the work of ministry. He started first um, by preaching in his own hometown where they did not receive him because he was Joseph's son and they did not appreciate that Joseph's son could be the Messiah and even still may not give himself to them as fully as he will elsewhere because of their unbelief and so they tried to kill him and then he starts he of course evades them and begins um, actually healing people. And we also supplemented our study of, the, of Luke chapter 4 with some look, looks at Matthew chapter 4 to give some additional context to these stories. And I think that helped us um, see that around that same time that Jesus was beginning his ministry and he was starting to preach, he had actually already rounded up some of his disciples um, that was how he healed Simon Peter's mother. He wouldn't have been able to heal Simon Peter's mother if he didn't already know Simon Peter. <laughs> so, um, but today, because Luke chapter 4 doesn't really go into how he met those disciples versus Matthew chapter 4 does, Luke chapter 5 now is going to get into him um, beginning to rally those disciples. So I think Luke's kind of jumped the gun on some of his stories and gotten gotten things maybe a little bit out of order. I'm not sure. I'm sure there's biblical theo- theologians and historians that know better than me, but this is just how it reads at face value. So today we are going into Luke chapter 5, where he does rally his first group of uh, disciples, first followers. And we're going to read more about some miracles that he works with a leper and a paralytic. I'm not going to read the entire chapter simply because it is very long compared to some of our other ones. And I don't want to get into a rush and potentially skip over some really powerful and important lessons just for the sake of time. So I'm going to read basically the first two thirds and then we'll leave the last third for tomorrow and maybe attach it to uh, Luke chapter 6. So let's get into reading about Jesus's um, formation of the group of men and women, arguably, that would join him throughout his three years of ministry, since they are going to be crucial members of this story, as they will later on continue to build the entire church that we know in the world today. So let's 
dive in. And per usual, I am reading out of the Amplified Bible just to get all those little extra bits and pieces to make the story as clear to us as possible. So I'm reading now out of Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Now it happened that while Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee, with the people crowding all around him and listening to the word of God, that he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little distance from the shore. And he sat down and began teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, Put out into the deeper water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon replied, Master, we worked hard all night to the point of exhaustion and caught nothing in our nets. But at your word, I will do as you say and lower the nets again. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets were at the point of breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats with fish, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all his companions were completely astounded at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon Peter. Jesus said to Simon, Have no fear. From now on you will be catching men. After they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him, becoming his disciples, believing and trusting in him, and following his example. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man covered with an advanced case of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean and well. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus ordered him to tell no one that he might happen to meet. And he said, But go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your purification, just as Moses commanded, as a testimony to them, that this is a work of the Messiah. But the news about him was spreading farther, and large crowds kept gathering to hear him and to be healed of their illnesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray in seclusion. One day, as he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present with him to heal. Some men carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed Some men came carrying a man on a stretcher who was paralyzed, and they tried to bring him in and lay him down in front of Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof, removed some tiles to make an opening, and lowered him through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their active faith, it sprung confidence in him. Springing from confidence in him, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. 
The scribes and the Pharisees began to consider and question the implications of what he had said, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies by claiming the rights and prerogatives of God? Who can forgive sins except God alone? But Jesus, knowing their hostile thoughts, answered him, Why are you questioning these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Get up and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority and power on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralyzed man, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. He immediately stood up before them, picked up his stretcher, and went home glorifying and praising God. They were all astonished, and they began glorifying God, and they were filled with reverential fear and kept saying, we have seen wonderful and incredible things today. So this chapter is really interesting because it is giving us a bit more detail about how he collected Simon Peter and James and John um, in this passage, which we had actually already read yesterday when we read Matthew chapter 4. It talks about how he saw them fishing and he walked down to them and he said, follow me. And it says immediately they followed him. But now this gives more context about why they immediately followed him. They experienced him. They both heard him preach, felt the presence of God on him and watched him do an incredible miracle that could not have happened except by God. He comes upon these men, this crowd is following him around, they're trying to listen to his preachings, and he decides to take out one of their boats and go out further into the water so that the crowd could hear him more easily. But also it was kind of a dual goal, right? He wasn't just trying to make himself more hearable to the crowd, he was also trying to show these men something that they would never be able to forget. And he knew that they had been out all night. He knew that they hadn't caught anything. And he was going to do what God can do, which is to bring abundance out of nothing, right? Out of impossibility. And so he asks Simon to put him out a bit into the the water. He begins teaching. And then when he finished speaking, he told Simon to go out into deeper water and lower his net for a catch. And of course, Simon said, Master, we've worked all night, we've caught nothing, but at your word, I'll do it. And when he'd done this, he caught so much fish that his nets were breaking, so he got his friend to come out to uh, put it into their boats, but their boats then began to sink. That's how much fish there was. (laughs) And at, at this point, Peter is realizing Whoa, whoa, whoa. And he says to him, go away from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That's, that's the same as saying, I am not worthy, hey? <laughs> I am not worthy of this, this. I mean, that kind of, potentially that kind of a catch could change their lives in every way financially. We don't even begin to know what the economics of that would have, made, would have been. But he knew that this was profoundly impossible, and it was life-changing, and he didn't know who this man exactly was, but He was someone he didn't feel worthy to be in the presence of. And they were completely astounded. And then you can understand why Jesus would confidently say, 
follow me and they would confidently say yep <laughs> okay if if you want me if you've decided i'm not as um dishonorable as i think i am to be in your presence if you want me i want you back <laughs> and so it gives a little bit more context to matthew when they when it says and immediately they left everything and followed him and it's like they were convinced that this man was something different and Jesus said to Simon, have no fear from now on, you will be catching men. The other translation says from here on out, you'll be fishers of men, right? So he, they were going to become disciples who were going to preach and pray and work miracles alongside of him and bring many into, into the early forming church. Then we move on to the miracles, and now Matthew actually mentions these as well, but not in any detail. It literally just blows over them and says things like, um, and he did many signs and wonders, healing many epileptics and paralytics and many sick and many demonically possessed. And and he's just saying like, and he did all these other things, but Luke being Luke, who's obsessed with like the miracles that Jesus worked, he wants to give some details here. So the first case that we see is Jesus coming upon a man who had an advanced case of leprosy. And the man fell on his face when he saw Jesus, and he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean and well. So this man comes to him with faith straight out the gate. And he says, all he's asking of God is, are you willing? I know you're capable of this. I know you can heal me. But are you willing? And Jesus reached out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. I think that's such an important sort of um, conversation for a man to approach God knowing God's capabilities, but testing God's heart. Is your heart for me? And Jesus is showing you God's heart. He says, I am absolutely willing. I'm absolutely willing. And Jesus ordered him to tell no one, but go and show himself to the priest, make an offering for his purification, just as Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. He wanted him to go show himself to the priest as testimony. But the news about him was spreading farther, and large crowds kept gathering to hear him to be healed of their illnesses. And But it adds this little sort of addendum. It says, but Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. Hmm. There's all the permission you need right there in his own example to go away to solitude and to spend time alone and to spend time with God. That's all the permission you need right there. You have full permission, <laughs> no matter how busy this life is, no matter how many things are demanded on you, you have full permission. If the Savior of the world could break away from the constant needs, the very real needs of humanity, to go away with his Father and fill himself back up with the joy and the energy and the, and the passion he would need to, to be his best self with each one of those people, if he could do it, then we all can do it too. We have the ability to say no. We have the ability to pull ourselves away and be invested in by our Father. It is no small um, sacrifice, let's say. 
Then it says one day he was teaching and there were Pharisees and teachers of the law and so many people were coming to see him. So many that this man who was paralyzed and obviously had been paralyzed for some time had a group of friends who wanted this man healed. But there were so many people around Jesus that he couldn't gain access even through his friends even being on the stretcher he couldn't gain access through the throngs of people to be put in front of Jesus so his friends now come on somebody these are friends right here (laughs) they went up on the roof put a hole in the roof and lowered their friend down on a stretcher first of all those men must have been very strong (laughs) or maybe their adrenaline was just really going But wow, wouldn't we all want friends like that? We've talked about this particular story in a previous um, episode way, way back now. But how that's the kind of friend. Sometimes you need the faith of your friends, remember? Sometimes we don't have the faith for our own miracle or for our own season. But those around us, the community around us does have it. Yeah, so, man, I just bless you to have friends that would fight for you the way these friends fought for their friend, that they would beat down the crowds, climb on the roof, dig a hole in the roof, and then lower their paralyzed friend down in front of Jesus. And it says in particular, and here's where you really got to take your hat off to these friends. It says, "When when Jesus saw their active faith, Springing from confidence in him, he said, man, your sins are forgiven. When he saw there, when he saw the faith of this man's friends, we have no understanding of this paralyzed man's level of faith. If he believed at all, if he even knew what was going on. (laughs) But his friends had faith in who Jesus was. And then Jesus says this remarkable thing. He says, man, your sins are forgiven. That is so remarkable. But it, it says earlier in the verse that he, he noticed that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting in there where he was ministering. So I've wondered to myself, was this man paralyzed because of some sin that he has not sought forgiveness from God for? Or was Jesus saying that because he knew it would put these Pharisees off Because the Pharisees and these teachers of the law would obviously be like, no, (laughs) sorry, Um, a human being doesn't get to forgive sins. That's not how it works. Only God can do that. So did he say that just to provoke them? Or was that man going to be able to get his miracle just by getting forgiveness of the sin in his life? I don't know. But what we do know is the scribes were instantly triggered. (laughs) The Pharisees it says, instantly began to consider and questions question the implications of what he had said. And they said to themselves, who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins except God alone? And Jesus, knowing their hostile thoughts, so he already knew. He knew exactly what saying that in front of them would do. <laughs> he knew exactly what it would trigger in them. Knowing their hostile thoughts, he looked at them and said, Why are you questioning in your hearts? What is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority and power on earth to forgive sins, 
I say to you, and now he looks at the paralyzed man, get up, pick up your stretcher, and go home. Hmm. I love how he made it a comparison of ease. (laughs) Which is easier? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority and power on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. Man, I need to, I need to sit on that because I, I feel like there's even more in this than I'm, than I'm seeing at the moment. In order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I say to you, get up, pick up your stretcher and go home. Yeah, there's some there's there's something there that I want to I need to read this through in a few other translations. Let me actually see real quick. Sorry, I'm doing this on the fly, but I want to see um in the passion translation how they say this particular verse. Okay. So the Passion Translation says, Jesus turned to the paraplegic man and said, To prove to you all that I, the Son of Man, have the lawful authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you now, stand up, carry your stretcher, and go on home, for you are healed. I wonder how how he he's making the correlation between forgiveness, how how healing someone of their infirmity like this equals the right to forgive sin. It goes back to that original question of did this was there sin in his life that called the caused the paralysis that created the paralysis? Because it would lead you to say it would suggest then that being forgiven would have healed the paralysis. I don't know. Cuz being healed for Jesus healing this man was giving him the justification to forgive sins. So I, I don't know. I, I need to look this one. I need to think this one through here. I feel like there's more um, to himself and to what he's saying than I'm picking up at the moment. Okay, but then in an instant, the man rose right before their eyes. He picked up his stretcher and he went home giving God the glory with every step he took. And the people were seized with astonishment and dumbfounded over what they had just witnessed. They all praised God, remarking over and over, incredible, what an unbelievable miracle we've seen today. And there's more to come in this chapter. I'm just not going to read it because I feel like that is quite enough for one episode and I don't want to rush through the last half of this chapter. Um, so I'm going to leave it there, but man, Jesus is incredible. I love that he knew the thoughts and intents of the hearts of those Pharisees. I love that he knew what to say that would trigger them (laughs) and that he said it, that he didn't shrink back for a second. He could have just healed that man exactly the way he'd healed anyone else, but he chose to say it that way in the presence of those men to get them to question him and assume him as a blasphemer so that he could then speak into that it's like he didn't want them to just be grumbling to themselves suspicious but not really sure if they should be suspicious no he wanted them to just let it out let let whatever your worst case belief about me is come to the surface so i can snuff it out 
He was never afraid of the hostility or the secret derogatory thoughts about him. He wanted to literally bring them to the surface. Jesus was the ultimate healthy confrontator. (laughs) He was the ultimate um, hero of not being afraid of being misunderstood and giving people every opportunity to tell tell him exactly what they thought. so that he could correct them in the in the presence of all of these other witnesses so he could set the record straight right there and right then so now that we've read this ask yourself if jesus showed up to your work site where you had been vastly unsuccessful for days weeks months who knows and he shows up and he fixes the problem he gives you unbelievable success in your workplace and then he looks at you and says follow me would you do it would you follow him would you leave everything and follow him and the reason i'm saying that is because i want us to put into context that each of these men that he goes and gradually collects and forms his disciple team they did that they were left with a choice that Jesus had just blessed them so, so intensely financially in that boat. He had blessed them. He had just set their life up on a whole different path. And they could have said, no thanks. I really appreciate what you've done for me. Now I want to go live my best life with what you've done with me. But they didn't just say, yes, I'll follow you. It says they left everything. They left the money. They left the fish. They left the business. Yeah, I think that there's a real lesson in that. I want us to appreciate the faith and the devotion that these men had to leave everything to follow him. And I hope it builds our confidence in who Jesus was, that he had to have had such an insane impact on the men and women that laid eyes on him. That if he said to you, will you follow me? No matter how he just blessed you, you could live in that blessing maybe forever. Maybe for the next 10 years. But you could live in that blessing and he's saying, follow me. And the men were like, yep, (laughs) no problem. I'm coming, I'm coming. And I just wonder if he would to do that to your life, would you follow him as ardently or would you choose the blessing? Would you thank him for the blessing but choose to stay right there? Or would you say, I don't want the blessing, I want the blesser. I want the man of God. Just something I feel to leave you with tonight. I thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Narrow Road Podcast. I hope that it's blessed you. And I hope that you will tune back in tomorrow because we are still going on. 365 days of podcasting we're barely scratching the surface of 365 days we're what episode 43 43 44 so we've got a lot of room to grow still so hang on in there come back join me tomorrow i'll be back with another episode and we're going to go deeper into the last bit little portion of luke chapter 5 and then into luke chapter 6 and just see how how much more wild Jesus's life goes uh, goes into at this point. Also, I do want to say when he was preaching to the crowd, 
I wonder if that was before or after the Sermon on the Mount, because the very chapter, Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, and this was Luke chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. So I'm wondering chronologically, was the Sermon on the Mount happening that same day, and then he went down into the boat, or did they happen on different days? I'm just wondering. Maybe it happens on different days. We're we're about to find out anyway. Um, But yeah. Okay. So tune in tomorrow. I'll be back with you for another episode and we'll see how much, how much messier this whole thing gets. Thanks for listening and bye-bye.